0: The second reading comes from Matthew, chapter 10, commencing at verse 32, and going to verse 39. It's found on page 836 of the Church Bibles. Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the, to the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not make, take up their own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it.
1: Thanks, Ian. I bet you're all sitting here a bit puzzled. Well, I hope you are. They're not exactly Christmas stories, are they? Let's bow our heads and open all this up. Almighty Lord, we humbly come before you, wanting to seek your mind and seek your heart, to know your ways, that you would guide us in your precious footsteps, Lord, that we will not tarry, nor will we be diverted on the way that you have for us. Lord, you've granted us guidance through your Son, Jesus. Again, we pray that you'll do that tonight. Amen. I've been in a wrestle, as I've said to you previously, about teaching at Christmas time something that's different, something that's fresh, um, and something that's not familiar, which is the great battle you have when you're a preacher, is to uh, deal with the familiar but keep it interesting. So I hope this is going to work. Certainly got a reaction this morning at the 8am service, so let me know. But only let me know if it's good. If it's not a good response, I don't need to know that. So the soul of Christmas. Or Christmas, Christmas with a twist. Are those lights too bright again? Thank you. Christmas with a twist. Now, we're going to uh, look at the Christmas story from a different facet. Now, Christmas is every facet of a divine experiment in living from generosity rather than selfishness. Imagine a diamond. If you're going to make a diamond into a a good diamond, I'm told, you take it to somebody that knows how to cut diamonds. So they make each face perfect. And then the whole diamond will have the same sheen to it, the same reflection. And that, I believe, is a good diamond. Now, Christmas is God fashioning us towards generosity rather than selfishness. It is nothing short of revolutionary to mankind's persistently willful culture. Our culture has become so willful, so self-indulgent that we live on indulgence that our monies can buy us, our work can buy us. We live on money that we don't have now to indulge us in what we want now. So what we've done, we've furthered and fostered and persistently multiplied the selfishness of our culture in this generation and in previous generations. So Christmas it comes to attack this selfishness. The soul of Christmas beckons to the day when the meek and mild child becomes the divisive and wild adult. I'll read that again. The soul of Christmas beckons to the day when the meek and mild child becomes the, the, the divisive and wild adult. Is not the soul the very being of a person? It's where you audit what a person's like and measure them and see where their heart is. So the heart of Jesus was not always going to be a meek and mild child but he would become a divisive and wild adult for that is what the first Christmas must do. The presence of Jesus as much alienates men as it draws them. Because when Jesus is in front of us, we are forced to make a decision. And no decision is in fact a decision anyway. So why Christmas? Christmas is more than an adorable tale uh, found in antiquity to be repeated and mined annually for its distinctive feel goods. And that's what we have of Christmas. Christ has long been left out of Christmas. But there are feel goods attached to it. So we mind Christmas for the goodwill, for the present giving, for the charity and and, and aspects of generosity, for the peace that it's supposed to bring to the world and a focus. But Christmas is more than feel goods. Now, Jesus is the great I Am. He is alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. He is alive today as he was 1,800 years ago when arguably Christmas started. He's the great I am. He's not just the great I was. So we can't consign Jesus to a history lesson. We can't consign Jesus to a Google entry, an encyclopaedic entry, because he is with us this day as much as he was 2,000 years ago. I am means that there is no opportunity to neglect him. Because he is real, he is present, and he will return. I don't have to worry about Julius Caesar coming back, Adolf Hitler coming coming back, or or Mahatma Gandhi. They are in the past. But the good Lord isn't I was, he still is I am. So the first Christmas equips a permanent foreboding that the wicked King Herod foresaw. But today's kings do not even consider or feel its lengthening shadow of the forebodingness of Christmas. Let me read you this verse. It's from Matthew 2, 3. If you've got your Bibles open now, you can read it with me. One verse. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That is, that these wise men were looking for the baby, the Messiah. When he heard this, he was disturbed. Now get the rest of this verse. And all Jerusalem with him. Now there's at least a conundrum there. Because babies are meant to bring joy into people's lives. Now, not only has Jesus already uh, been robbed of joy, of bringing joy, he's already caused fear in a whole city. King Herod didn't want him, and neither did Jerusalem. King was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So this baby that's meek and mild in the manger, is already causing stir. Is already creating some sense of division because he is the great I am and not just the great I was. Our kings nowadays don't even see, don't even see Jesus as a threat. That's because they're even more ignorant than King Herod. So the problem of a peaceful Jesus now I want to ask this question, I'm going to read these verses, have we got that happen? No. I'll read some verses to you and I want to um, ask you, are these verses hyperbole or not? Hyperbole is exaggeration, exaggeration to make a point. I'm going to read these four verses. Is Jesus speaking in hyperbole? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against the mother, a daughter in law against the mother in law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This is what Ian read out to us. Is Jesus kidding? I have come, I did not come to bring peace. Christmas is all about the coming of Jesus. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We don't think of Jesus in this way. But what we've correctly, uh, sorry, incorrectly, but cleverly crafted our babe in a manger to be is peaceful, a peaceful mute. Someone that's nice to look at, nice to think about, but that's as far as it goes. That's the image we want of the good Lord Jesus. Now, this, these verses were spoken to, by Jesus to his disciples near the beginning of his ministry, He's put out these heart-changing, heart-stirring demands. He's asking for a reciprocity that is as uncompromising as he lived. Let me repeat that. In these verses, Jesus, who did not come to bring peace but a sword, is asking for an uncompromising reciprocity. Jesus died. Will We die for him. Will we take those hard words on board or we will water them down, dilute them? Or was Jesus just telling, speaking hyperbole to make a point? I find that one very difficult to believe. So the Christ of Bethlehem isn't quite the Christ of Christmas. Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, I came to bring division. Luke 12, 51. Do not be deceived. Christmas has some fearsome outcomes for this world. Now, the context for that verse, Jesus is teaching his disciples, was about being watchful for the return. Watchful for his return to earth. And he says, Do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, I come to bring division, because Jesus can't stand in front of anybody without that anybody having to make a decision about which way they're going to face, which way they're going to look, what words are going to come out of their mouth. Now Jesus did not intend to use any form of violence or belligerence through his followers. That's not the sort of violence he was talking about. But he rather counsels his disciples to expect the divisive fallout that can accompany any evangelistic outreach. In fact, you could say more than evangelistic outreach. These days, anybody that wants to stick up for that which is Christian in public domain is going to find a divisive fallout. Israel Flower's the first one to prove that, isn't he? Jesus brings division. So if that's getting Jesus right for the first Christmas, the Christmas soul in the manger is the second point to make. I reckon, and I've probably reckoned this for quite a while now, I think Jesus needs to be liberated from the manger. He's far more than just cuteness and all the delights that babies bring. A real and alive Jesus can never be assigned to a graveyard in my mind. Of course, he's not dead. The soul of the manger finds a baby who's still alive and is divisive. This heavenly child was born in poverty and he escaped a murderous Herod to Egypt. He has both the hands of mercy and a steadfast face to the reality of human violence. He was born into it. And he knew where he was going. So it seems to me that Christmas is summed up in one word incongruity. Getting Christmas correct is not simple. Let's celebrate the mild Jesus, the gentle and mild Jesus. But never neglect that the gentle and mild Jesus was going to become divisive and wild, because that's where he was headed. Now Christmas is the father in heaven and his son, Jesus the Christ. I say Jesus the Christ deliberately because it's very easy to get into the, the mindset that Jesus' Christian name is Jesus and his surname's Christ. Christ is a title, it's not a name. He's Jesus the Christ, the sent one that's come for us. So Christmas is is the father in heaven and his son jesus who is the christ demonstrating that they will no longer permit they will no longer permit competitors within the hearts of men so jesus didn't come to change the world he came to claim our hearts he didn't come to change the world he came to claim our hearts and then the world will change now, the world has many competitors to Christ in our heart, and you can't sit down and watch 10 minutes of TV without finding another competitor to, to your heart's attention being advertised to try to grab you. Now, I'm going to digress just for a moment. I bet every, not that I'm a gambling man, I bet everybody here have had prayers that aren't answered and you puzzle. You think, oh, God, did that prayer make it all the way up to you? Oh, Lord, maybe you had, a, had a, an overlap of too many prayers and you missed mine. Oh, maybe, Lord, uh, you're just disinterested in me. There's a stack of reasons we can run through our minds why our prayers don't get answered. But here's one I think is a large reason. I wonder how many people We've prayed to win Lotto because they know how broke they are. How many other people have prayed for carnal things that they want? But we don't get it. It's not received and it's as if the the prayer has fallen into the black hole in the centre of the universe. See, one thing God's not going to do, he's not going to give you in your life a competitor to himself. So if what you're asking for in your prayers seems legitimate, but he knows your heart isn't ready for you to have that, he is going to be silent. Christmas Day is God saying there are too many competitors in this world for the heart of man. I'm going to go and grab that heart of man and restore him to where I want him to be, which is in heaven. So remember, please, that if your prayers aren't being answered, one of the reasons could be the same reason why Jesus came to this world, because he's not going to give us competitors to our hearts. He wants to own our hearts. And he's not going to hurt them. He's not going to break them. He's not going to wear them out. He'll only nurture our hearts. So remember, please, God could have made himself bigger to win us, but he chose to make himself smaller to attract us. That's how he reaches out for our hearts at that first Christmas. He wants to reach out for our hearts. So the last point, the final point the Christmas soul that is within us. Christmas is the mighty arm of God stretched out in deepest love to an earth encompassed in weakness and imprisoned by sin. And for those of you that have heard what I've spoken on the last couple of weeks, that's exactly the darkness that Isaiah 8 talks about, encompassed in weakness and imprisoned by sin. This babe, the babe, is destined to the most horrible murder, The Father is not just dropping hints that we should recognise Jesus at Christmas. He's bellowing at us. Recognise Jesus. Because the Jesus of, of the manger becomes the Jesus of murder very, very soon on our calendars. God isn't dropping hints, he's screaming. Listen up to this Lord, to this baby. Listen up to what he becomes. Christmas isn't just a hint. Christmas is a promise that God is going to come to mop up this earth. He started that mop up 2,000 years ago and the remainder of it is yet to come. Christmas is the divine call to challenge all our ungodly allegiances and asks for an uncompromised devotion. Now I think the best thing you can give a friend is your time. So what sort of time do we give Jesus? Are we always too busy for him? He gets our time at the end of the day, which is the cheapest time and the weakest time. Or does he get your time at the start of the day? Because you can tell what's in your heart by who and what gets the strongest time. I don't want my Beth to give me her cheap time any more than she would want me to give her my cheap time. I want to be sufficiently important and I want my Beth, she's my wife, I want my Beth to want me sufficiently too that she will put things aside to stop and be with me. And I will put things aside to stop and be with her. There's cheap time and there's expensive time. So where does our expensive time go? Will it go with Jesus, or does he still get compromised out? The kingdom of heaven is not for the lily-livered and the squeamish, but for those men and women who will take violence with themselves. The weak need and the people-pleaser won't survive, for heaven bellows seeking. Heaven says, I am seeking violent men to become violent with themselves. There are no cowards in heaven. Revelation 22. I am seeking violent men to become violent to themselves. Have we got these slides? No slides? Okay, this is from Matthew eleven twelve. From the time of John the baptiser until now, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been seizing it. Now that's a verse to ponder. What's going on in that verse? From the time of John the Baptiser until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful people have been seizing it. The Bible, the, the, the forceful advancing is it's interesting when you consider it, isn't it? That the kingdom of God is advanced through persecution. It's not advanced through comfort. So it's been forcefully advancing. And forceful people have been seizing it. Are we forceful people to lay hold of the kingdom of God and the rule of him in our lives? Forceful men must resist their own desires and the generation values that they were raised in. This is not a a call to war, between people, this is a call to war with yourself. Giving up everything to grab the true treasure. I've got to hold on to the kingdom of God. I've got to hold on to that forgiveness. I've got to hold on to my repentance. I've got to hold on because the Lord died for me. Whatever it is that keeps us seizing God's rule in our life, we've got to do it. And not let something else take it away. And it takes great willpower to lock arms with Jesus, but that's the plea of this Christmas. To lock arms with Jesus. I'm going to be forceful about holding on to Jesus, I'm not going to be forceful about telling people about Jesus, I'm not going to force his word down people's throats. I'm going to be forceful with myself, that I'm going to lock arms with Jesus and hang on and I'm going to hang on till the day I meet him. So let's tie this together. God dwelling with men was completely radical. If you remember the ancient myths, the gods were always to be appeased. God, their gods didn't want to come and live with them. They had to reach up and keep their gods at peace, at bay. But the God of the cross is completely radical because he comes to live with men, which is what he did in Genesis 1 and 2, wasn't it? 3, till they were expelled. So he's going to restore that. This raucous birth cries to a world torn asunder in sin that it has not just met a mild, a mild infant beaming innocently up from a filthy feeding trough. This world has been presented with a babe who is divisive. So, there was no room at the inn, was there, for Jesus? I want to ask tonight, <coughs> say tonight, there is no room at the inn, for a passive faith. Of course, he's a wild and divisive baby. Not just gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I wonder if you've thought the Jesus at the cradle was always, 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 always born to be the Jesus at the cross, at the cross. The Jesus at the cradle was always born to be the Jesus at the cross. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that you've reached down and touched all our lives. Uh, Just splash our hearts afresh, Lord, with the power of your word and the peace of your Holy Spirit, that we may see a Jesus mild, but we also see him wild, Lord. Amen.